This is a podcast about our lived experience, which unfortunately includes infant death and subsequent mental health struggles. Please take good care of yourself and only listen if this content feels safe for you right now. We'll still be here when you're ready. Hi, I'm Judith. And I'm Alina. We both lost babies to SIDS in winter 2021. In the throes of grief, I reached out to a stranger on the internet and our friendship was born. In the years since, we've been working hard to survive, rebuild, and navigate the continual challenges that have come our way, including divorce, job loss, dating while bereaved, moving multiple times, health scares, pregnancy and parenting a living child, starting new jobs, and so much more. We are tired. Happily Ever After is out of the question for us, but this podcast documents our journeys to happier ever after because we believe life after loss is worth living. So join us as we laugh, cry, cry until we laugh. (laughs) Welcome to As Long As I'm Living podcast. We're so glad you're here. Hello. Welcome to As Long As I'm Living podcast. This is Alina Quinn's mom. This week's episode is a continuation of our interview with Dr. Rabbi Antine. So if you missed last week's episode, you should go back and listen to that first. It's linked in the description. Um, and with that, I'll send you into the episode with Rabbi Andy. I'll tell you when, when Aiden died that morning, he died overnight. And, um, my, I found him in his pack and play in the morning and I called my parents and my parents came over. And then the first thing my mom did was call the rabbi, which I thought was like a very odd decision. Like it would <laughs> not have occurred to me, but I can imagine that you're on the receiving end of these phone calls and you're walking into what some would call a nightmare. You're walking into people's worst day of their life. Mm-hmm. So you can you talk a little bit about from your experience, what does it feel like to be walking into the worst day of someone's life? And like, what do you view your role as there? Like, what was that rabbi? I can tell you what he did do, but what do you think you're supposed to be doing? And who teaches? Like, is there a guideline? Did you get that? Did you learn that in school? Like, Right. Uh, you are a first responder first almost responder. in the same way yeah. that a paramedic yeah. is. You're the religious first responder. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I, I do. I'm always amazed in, in many of these situations. Like sometimes I'll get a call from somebody that so-and-so died and they're like, let's say from the spouse. And they're like, um, I haven't, I haven't told my kids yet. Like I mean, they haven't told the children <laughs> yet. And they called me. Before they call, so I know about the death before the before yeah. before like the actual mourners, and it happens. <laughs> it happens more often than it's not just a rare occurrence. And and uh, well, first of all, sometimes the, they want guidance on how to tell their 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 loved ones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's it, it is it's very interesting how I, whenever these things happen, I, I think they're not calling me Nissan Antine. They're calling. The rabbi, you know, the rabbi sent <laughs> something, um, and uh, I, I do this. It's kind of has, has shifted for me when I, I remember when I was first started. I'm I'm in, I'm in my 18th year now being a rabbi. Um, so when I first started, I remember my first year there was a there was a suicide and uh, someone death by suicide in our synagogue, and I remember going over to the house. And it was in the beginning. Actually, there were two of them in my in like my first year, like within maybe three or four months of each other. Of like, both of them were like eighteen or nineteen, seventeen or eighteen, whatever. Wow, and young, young, yeah, yeah. So these were children of of members. So the parents called me. Um, there was another rabbi there at the time, also, and and I remember going over to those both of those homes, um. And this was in both situations, the, the person, the deceased was still there. 
And I really remember being frightened before I walked in. I was so scared. Um, like, how do you walk into this situation? This is like, and I was a very young rabbi. It was very scary. And um, you're an expert. You were called in as an expert. Yeah. Right? In something. And you're like, wait, what? I was 26 years old and just up <laughs> medical school. It was very scary. Um, the rabbi will know what to do. And you're like, wait, oh my gosh, I'm the rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> but then that, 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 well, so first of all, what I'm going to say is now I don't, I don't have that anymore. You know, it's, it's because yeah. also now I've come to realize that it's not about me and, and what I'm going to say. They just <laughs> need somebody there who will be supportive. Sometimes just someone they need to hug, someone they need to have some grounding, some sense of normalcy, the voice that they hear in synagogue, you know, every Shabbat, um, who has said something, you know, whatever it is that brought them comfort or resonated with their hearts or souls at one point, then they need them at that point. It's not, it's not me. It's just, you know, and, and so that takes away a lot of, a lot of the pressure of that moment. And then really for me, it's, it's just really going in with, with an open heart and open mind. And it's not about imposing my 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 will. I'm not planning on coming in there and saying, okay, here are all the laws of what you should do exactly in this situation. I'm ready to do that if if that's what they want. And some families want that because again, they want the concrete structure at that time. That's what gives them, you know, a sense of something to hold on to 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 continue. But sometimes it's just listening. Sometimes it's like based on that conversation we were just having a few minutes ago. They need actually permission to not follow some of the the rules, and I, I I do give people that a lot when I'm when I'm talking to them in those situations. So, can I give a specific example in our community? I know it, it, so when an infant dies, when, when a person dies, you're supposed to bury them within 24 hours, right? But when an infant dies in the United States, you're required to do an autopsy, which takes more than 24 hours. So that would be an example of something where you're saying. You have to get an yeah. autopsy, even right. though the law yeah. says the Jewish law says this, but the law of the land you're living in is this. So, like right. reconciling those two things, I can imagine is something. Yeah, and, and, and a big thing for me would be in the, in that kind of situation would be would be that you should you the parents do not have to feel any sense of guilt over this. This is the law of the land. There are reasons for it. Whether we, from a Jewish legal perspective, agree with it or not. Um, that's a whole different story, but you shouldn't, as the parent, should not feel you're going through your own grief right now. Don't feel bad about this. This is beyond your control. Um, right. so that, that would be the my conflict of those two laws is not your problem when your baby dies. Right. Right. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's what I would say is my, is my role there is just to, to come and different times I'll do, I've done many, many different things. Sometimes I'll come and everyone's sort of sitting around stand, uh, and, and, and what they need is they need like some, some spiritual container. And sometimes I'll, I'll come and offer to sing songs, you know um, maybe it's what I, a lot of times what I'll do. And I, I do this with people who die when they're 80, but I would also do this and have done this in other kinds of situations as well uh, of, of death um, would be like, let's say for instance, if it would be an infant death, you know um, and, 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 Maybe I could, I could imagine, I'm not, I don't have a specific memory of doing this, but I could imagine doing something like saying, um, you know, one gift that you can give your child right now is, is the, if they're so inclined, spiritually inclined in that way is we can go through, um, 
the yearly holiday cycle and you can sing some of the songs like the songs from Hanukkah to the, to your baby, or you can sing the songs from Passover or Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> so, you know, you're making me cry. That's good. My grandma brought me Xanax. <laughs> Which was useful, but not that was a little Listeners, I'm literally crying at the thought of that. And this is not even my religion. I just think that's like the screen. That's a really beautiful idea. I mean, yeah. or, or, to, or to teach your child the, the Shema, you know, to give you it. Cause it's not, yeah. it's not, maybe not, not something that, which is this prayer that parents teach their children and they put them to sleep with. Or also, you know, there are, there are prayers that we say that you can offer to, to give your, your baby who's now on this journey. We don't know what happens after death, but to give them love and comfort and support. Again, if they're going, I would want to find out. Maybe someone, maybe parents wouldn't want any of that. And then I would be, Mm -hmm. it's all about humility. (laughs) This is not about me (laughs) bringing my ideas, but I would, I would offer, I would offer those kinds of things. Well then, okay. So then the baby or the person dies and then there's the funeral. Like, how do you know what to say at a funeral? You don't know all these people. Like what, Mm -hmm. how can you comfort a group of people if you maybe it's in my particular case, you know, he was a baby. No one knew anything about him. He was just a baby, like mm. a COVID so, baby at that. A COVID baby. So really no one, anyone knew him. <laughs> but how, um, how can you connect with this person who had passed and bring comfort or eulogize if you don't know the person or even if you do, like, how do you see your role in that case? Are you talking about specifically if there'd be like an infant death or are you talking about for or just in general, like, um, like a tragic death, not if I mean, I assume like, let's say for an older person, you can talk to the kids and find out, tell me yeah. a little bit about this person and what was meaningful. But sometimes the situation is so shocking that no one knows what to say. Yeah. And you're tasked with saying, saying something. Right. Um, so, I mean, in general, when I do a eulogy at a, at a, at a funeral, I, I really don't think that the rabbi's eulogy is, is so important. I, I, I kind of downplay mm. it. I mean, <laughs> like I know that there are some rabbis, they'll, uh, this is a lesson that I learned from one of my mentors, you know, a lot of times rabbis will be the first person to give the eulogy at the funeral. And I, I'm like, what? This is all about the family and, and, their, and their relative. And so, of course, I only speak at the end and I just, you know, but I always have an intake meeting with the families. And this is true about any funeral. So I will sit with them and, and we'll, we'll talk and we'll talk about the person who's passed away and that doesn't matter. And and if it would be someone who was 70 or 80, then I'm sure they would have a lot of memories. If it would be a, a baby who died at three months, then then we would talk about what their whatever I would I would I would I would want to let them. There's a very important concept in Judaism around around Shiva. Like when you come to visit someone who is in this first seven day period after mourning, there's a very important concept that the visitors are not supposed to start the conversation. They're not which I take to mean they're not supposed to shape the counters of the conversation. Like sometimes people will come in and they'll have an idea of, oh, they're in so much mourning. They probably want me to distract them by talking about something else. That might be true, but you don't know. Maybe they specifically really need to talk about their loved one in that moment. Maybe they're, maybe they're feeling that they really want to connect. And so I understand that law that is to really try to take your cue from the grievers those who are grieving and find out from them how they want to talk about it and what they want to talk about. So I would ask that question 
of the of the parents um, of the family. You know, what what would you like? And I can offer some suggestions. Would you like um, at the funeral? Obviously, baby was only a month or two. You yourself don't really know that much about the baby. Although I would actually love to know what you know and what you and I think. You know, Judith, I think I did ask yeah. you that question when we met that time. You did. You asked me such a beautiful question. That yeah, I, I, you've asked me a lot of questions. You asked me a lot of questions that no one asked. Like you, I, you asked me questions that um, really, like Alina said, like leaned in, mm-hmm. that like stumped me, and that doesn't happen often. <laughs> <laughs> But you really ask like very like point like pointed questions. Mm-hmm. I, I lost. <laughs> so maybe that's not what that I was so refreshing. It was so wonderful. Like I think you asked me how have you changed since mm-hmm. the last, ah. and you asked me um you asked me like something about being a mother, like how I mother differently. And you wow. asked me about how the, you asked me like very specific questions. And um, I think this is, this is clear to me. You read the room because I don't think from talking to you right now, I don't think you'd ask someone whose baby died that morning, those same questions. Oh, but no, Judith no. is someone who has been on this journey for yeah. a while. She has a podcast about it. Like, I yeah. think like yeah. those are, you don't know Judith. Well, I don't know who knows Judith better, but I probably do. But, <laughs> but those are great questions for Judith. She would love to answer those questions. Yeah. We talk about every single week here on As Long As I'm Living Podcast. Seriously, those questions. So the fact that you asked those questions yeah. like, felt really good because I think a lot of times for us, it feels like, you know, we have this little community of people with our podcast listeners and those close friends and family who have really stayed with us in our grief. We have this kind of like safe little community where inside of it, we talk about these things explicitly in so much detail and it just feels normal. Yeah. Like, this is my yeah. life. I have a child who died. And then outside of that, there's like kind of this palatable, like, like elevator pitch version that we say to other people. And so when someone comes in and is open to hearing the real, right. know, not even like the whole thing, but just a piece of it is really refreshing. Well, my, my experience around people who are grieving in, in all different stages of life and I would love to hear your feedback on this, is that people do want to talk about their their loss. Yes. Maybe not all the time to every single person, but they they want that opportunity to to share. And some people don't yes. have the opportunity to share. And there's also people who grieve in silence because they're going through things that can't even be, you know, there's, there's a lot there. And people really... Um, almost yearn for that opportunity to, to, to speak about it when they can. So um, I would err on the side of, again, without trying to impose, but I would err on the side of, of really trying to at least open up the possibility of enabling the people to grieve what they have lost. So when it comes to someone who dies when they're 70 or 80 years old or 90 years old, they are losing a person who was with them for all of these years and all of these experiences, and now they're not going to have that anymore. But when you're grieving a two or three month old baby, then in, to a certain extent, the thing that you're grieving is the life that you were hoping for, this, these, all of these expectations right. that have been shattered. So I would think that at a funeral or at a memorial, the thing that perhaps the grievers, the mourners would want to talk about is they'd want to share those things, those, those hopes and those aspirations that they had yeah, there, there might be a little bit, yeah, there, the, the baby was doing this or that at the age of a month or six weeks, but probably mm-hmm. more of it at that point is what, what they were hoping for. The loss that they're experiencing is the loss about the potential, about, about the future. So I would want to create uh, a container to allow 
the mourners to be able to express that if that's what, where they would want to go. But that's what I would kind yeah. of open well, up. I with. think your approach of asking questions is a good one because you can, you know, from my perspective, if someone asks me a question, I can always kind of give them the yes, totally, like of course, but <laughs> or I can give them, you know, the well, whole you- like, oh my god, like let me tell you all about that. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Also true. yeah. And I, um, when I joined the congregation that I joined, there's also this piece of, you know, your community may not know, like the community I lived in when Aiden died was one community. So they showed up with me in a certain way. And now I'm showing up in a brand new way with this kind of dead child and a live child. And it's like, well, how do you talk about it when no one knows and introduce the topic to like an entire population? Because like you said, so much of the Jewish component of grieving is communal support. Well, if you move to a community where they don't know that you're grieving, how can th- you give them the opportunity to play their role? And you also need the support too, like mm-hmm. ongoing. So it's complicated. And I used um, Judaism as a tool to start that conversation in the way that I had done it. Because I think there are a lot of natural avenues where you could talk about loss, but I can imagine as part of like a, you're doing intake with people when they move to the community, is that something you ask? Is that something you make note of? Like if there's someone new who's coming in, do you ask about their losses? Like how do you integrate that into welcoming new people into your community? It probably hasn't come up that often. I don't know. Yeah, but. obviously this is wonderful. This is a good takeaway for me (laughs) to go back to my community (laughs) and and figure out a way to do that and and really try to make that part of the welcoming and process of of, of new members because everyone has things. And even just, uh, even, I don't even think we have this, but even just a question on the, on, on the, um, on the application form, you know, as people are signing up or during the first time, is there anything that you would like us to know about you, about your past that, that could help Mm us help you or or be there we really like the question like tell us about your family as opposed to how many children do you have yeah i think that's a much easier way to yeah kind of share the whole scope of of your situation it's an Mm open-ended much more open-ended question yeah yeah i actually really do like that phrasing of tell me about your family okay i have one more question and i think this one's a little touchy but we're going to do a dance and try our best. <laughs> okay. So in Judaism, there's a lot of prescribed gender roles, like certain traditions and certain rituals are led by men. Mm-hmm. Our community is mostly, I don't want to speak, we do have some dads, but mostly mothers. And I guess I'm curious about, um, is there space for mothers? That's um, is there as much space for mothers as there are for fathers? Like, does that gender role play a role in how to participate in um, the Jewish acts of grieving? Yes or no. I know that's like kind of a complicated question, but I guess the way I think about it is I think in many communities, the man is the one who um, maybe takes like the lead. I don't know. on mm. On like ritual and like Jewish, not Jewish observance, but like the men have a lot more obligation. I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say, but I don't know how to say it. Yeah. I mean, well, so I'm a rabbi of an Orthodox synagogue. So the synagogue is not egalitarian. We, we have, we have, uh, men and women pray on, on separate sides of the, 
of, of, of the synagogue. You know, we have separate seating and we have almost most of the ritual things that are done in synagogue are led by men. That's okay. That's what I was trying to ask. (laughs) We're in Orthodox synod. So that, yeah, most of that's only true about Orthodox Judaism. If you go to right conservative or, or reform Judaism, it would not be that way. The other denominations, the more liberal denominations, but, um, that being said, I think that when it comes specifically the topic of the conversation that we've been having around rituals of mourning, um, things are almost almost the same. It's, first of all, most of the mourning hap- most of the mourning rituals happen at home, right? After someone passes away, the shiva is in is in the home. People come and visit, and there are no gender distinctions around uh, around any of the rules of shiva. Men and women have to observe shiva the seven day period, and then the thirty day period, and then the year period the same way. Um, now it's true that, um, oftentimes during the first year, um, people will come to synagogue and they'll recite this Kaddish prayer, this prayer that's said by mourners, uh, in the synagogue and they'll lead the services as well. And so for leading the services, that's something that in our synagogue would only be uh, available for men, but, but for saying the Kaddish, both men and women say Kaddish on the yard site, the day of the, of the death, the anniversary of the death, both men and women come and, and, and say Kaddish. So um, while it's true that in general, um, orthodoxy definitely has very, very defined gender roles. Um, I mean, our, the synagogue that I'm a rabbi of is probably on the very progressive end of orthodoxy. So we're kind of pushing a lot of those uh, boundaries uh, to the extent that we can. But it is true that we are Orthodox synagogue, but it happens to be that I've never thought about this question, but around the rules of mourning and grieving, there's no, there really aren't that many gender distinctions. You know, that's an interesting thing to think about. The actual basic rules of mourning, they're, they're, they're the same for men and women. I actually agree. I think that's a hundred percent true. The one, um, the one thing I will add as a caveat to that Mm -hmm. is that I think that men know more about like as a woman there are certain things that I just don't I didn't even know because I didn't participate in those for example orthodoxy for a minute like the thing about um on the Shabbos before like in Mincha what what was that called Kalmale the memorial prayer Kalmale I I didn't know um Mm -hmm. that was a thing and um, even one thing I've learned is that, um, like, I'll never forget when Aiden was buried, like, my husband knew the entire Kaddish by heart, and he would say it so fast. This always came up. Like, they say it fast. <laughs> they say it so fast. And because I'm not in shul every day, like, yeah. it doesn't come as naturally. And um, there are just certain, like, things I didn't know uh, that you're supposed to, that you can say a couple words about the deceased you know, on the day of their yortite. Like there's yeah. so many like small right. like things that sometimes men know because they're just in the space more mm-hmm. that I feel like I would have no I would have never have known. Even if it's not a kind of a formal rule that makes a distinction between men and women, but because it's men are not formal. Before, it's not formal. Right. But since men are more commonly in those spaces, they might have more access to the information and the tools that can be used. That, that's that's really interesting. I also think um that when given those opportunities, like they feel really empowering. Mm-hmm. Like I think even the act of leading the service, like the, just the Kalmala, all those little things I have found are empowering. And I like knowing that they're open to me. 
I don't have to do them. Right. But I, I, I like that there's agency in it, mm-hmm. that yeah. I can choose to do it. For sure. And that feels really comforting and good to me. And I've always appreciated it. And the first year that um, it was it in Zorte, I, I was, I don't even know why I was asked. You know, I actually think, I don't know who asked. I think that someone asked if my husband wanted to speak at Sudashushi. And then I said, I'll do it. <laughs> and, um, and I'll never forget when... Um, when I said in that room, like I said, oh, I'm, I'm here to talk about my son who died as a baby. There's like this, it was, first of all, a room of only men in their sixties. Like there were no women there. It was like me and a bunch of men in their sixties. And there was like this audible gasp. And I was reminded that I'm an anomaly, but I also like that. I also felt so honored that I was given that opportunity to speak about Aiden in those spaces that he's not normally a part Mm -hmm. of. You know, yeah. like, I think that's where Judaism does it right, where you create space to bring the deceased into the living world again and again and again, whether mm-hmm. it's saying yes, or whether it's whatever it is, there's space for yeah. me to talk about him in a communal setting so everyone can learn about him. Yeah. And I don't think Alina has that in the same way that I do. Alina doesn't have formal spaces to talk about her son. And this leads into what I think is my last question. It's a bit of a semantics question, but I've noticed you, Rabbi Antine, use the word mourning a lot. And we never, I would say almost never use the word mourning. We very frequently use the word grieving. And at first glance, they seem the same. However, I think the word mourning, you know, we've actually talked about, talked about this in the Crisis of Faith episode, I think, actually, Judith. Mourning being the public expression of that grief, the grief you kind of share in your community, whereas grief feels something like that happens inside. And so we talk about grief a lot, but I think this conversation has been about opportunities for mourning. And I don't know that outside of a religious community, you get a lot of opportunities to mourn with Hmm. the exception of maybe the funeral, (laughs) right? But there's really no other opportunity, I don't think. And what you're talking about is really a way that Judaism presents so many opportunities for mourning and remembering how important that person was publicly with not just you and your little contained family, but in your whole community. And I think it's really beautiful. Yeah. I and mean, what do you and think, I've, about Ta- yeah. What do you think about the, I, I, it, you know, it's interesting. I, um, you know, I, I almost exclusively would use the word mourning because that's the way that mm-hmm. our Hebrew word avilut is is oftentimes translated, and and it does connote more of a of a um, of a of a public form of mourning, um, and uh, and a ritualized one. And I agree with you that right. you know grief is really more an expression of what's in the heart and what people are actually feeling. And sometimes mm-hmm. the grief does not is not reflective of the mourning period. Like for instance. Morning periods, they have numbers, seven days. That's an arbitrary number. And then it changes to a lower or a lesser in form of intensity until 30 days. And then a lesser intensity until the end of the year. Those are the three periods, seven days, 30 days, and a year. Well, what if somebody's grief is actually five days, you know, and then <laughs> seven months and then four years, like, so what do we say? No, it stops right now. You have to stop. Well, mourning, <laughs> yeah, it does stop, but the grief goes on. So we just have to, right. like, so I always have to remind myself that, you know, people's actual experience in their heart 
is not necessarily going to conform to the morning rituals, the out, the external ways. But I still think it's really important to have the external ones. And let, I'll, give, I'll give an example. Let's say, for instance, one of the things that mourners do is on the yard site on the year of the year anniversary, they, they do. Now, you might not be feeling anything at that moment if it's just about the heart. Or let's say Yiskar, right? Yiskar would be a kind of like a mourning ritual, a, a, a memory ritual that's done during the holidays. So at particular holidays, in the middle of Passover, it's the last day of Passover, you might not be feeling something uh, in that moment. But you come to synagogue, and there's this like public way of actually experiencing it. And then people do find that they have very, very meaningful experiences yeah. in that context. So I think it's important to both have the structured mourning and then also to allow the grief and not to pressure yourself to make sure that the grief lines up with the morning and the morning leans up, yeah. lines up with the grief because they're not, they're not necessarily. And then that, that's an interesting thing. That's, that's a real tough job of community because community knows how to do the morning part, but do they know how to be there for the grieving part? Let's say the grieving goes on. One of the episodes I, I listened yeah. to was, I forgot what your title was, but something basically, isn't it time? Isn't it enough? It was comma, blah, blah. What was it? Comma, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Comma, blah. I, I listened to that. I listened to that episode and I'm like, <laughs> wow, yeah, we have, and I was thinking about this, like we've got, yeah, it's already, your, your year is up. You know, your morning period is right. up. No, right. it's not necessarily going along with that. So then the question is, you know, can community members, can friends and loved ones realize and remember that this is just a structure that's there to help us begin? It's just the, it's just the beginning. Right. The grief is okay. going to continue or take on different shapes and we got to be there. The grief for- continues as long as the love lasts, which cool. is forever. Yes. That's what we always say. Well, this has been a really interesting conversation. <laughs> Oh my God. I have loved this conversation. I can't even tell you. And I don't know if you probably, you probably think I'm insane. First of all, is it weird, Rabbi Antine, that I know so much about something that I don't participate in at all? She knows it's a beautiful. lot. I've taught her it's, well. It's so beautiful. You get that you guys have connected so much on so many things and even to be able to share faith practices and learn from each other. Yeah. around My them. 22 years of formal Jewish education all resulted in Alina's education. <laughs> <laughs> In all seriousness, I I have learned a lot about grieving, about mourning, about ritual and all of that from my friendship with Judith as a Jewish person. And um, I, I really respect all of just the way you guys handle things. Obviously, no, nobody's perfect. And there are some some things that, you know, you guys could, could improve on. But I think overall, <laughs> you have the right yes. idea. And um, that's an area where like, I, I wish I had that background in some, mm. in some cases, I feel like I wish I had it. Cause I don't think I could have joined after and really felt that same, mm. you know, sense of whatever, but um, yeah. it's a really beautiful thing. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah. I think people are going to really enjoy learning this. Yeah. I'm so grateful for what you've done. As I mentioned, I listened to some of the podcasts and just for you guys taking your grief and I'm sure it just started because you wanted to talk and needed to talk for yourself. <laughs> yes. but. <laughs> to be able to share that with other people who are going through with through it, it's just so so important. So yeah, really, yeah. a little less lonely. Yes, exactly. To all of our wonderful new friends, we want to hear from you. Email us at as long as I'm living podcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at as long as I'm living podcast. We'll get back to you as soon as our grieving brains allow. Yay.